life is the past, the present, and the perhaps. Betty Davis Chapter 32 I went back to my sorting and my organizing. I gave myself the ease to remember. One sunrise found me with my hair tied up in a scarf, dusty and sneezing from rooting through thirty years of stuff. I had slept in my clothes from the previous night and was shuffling through a box of photos. I came across one that arrested my attention. Had it not been for the early hour, I would have called Natalie, Jane, or Polly to mull over the memories it evoked. In the picture, I stood on a boulder barefoot, tanned, in a cropped sleeveless shirt and a pair of capris by my friend Patsy's pool. My chin was up and one hip cocked for the camera. Hmm, I exhaled. My face in the photograph was slightly sunburnt. In days of yore, I knew not sunblock, apparently. Which yore? Judging from the attire, I'd say it was the early 1990s, just about the time I had started to work as Cooper's assistant. I stared at my former self. I was pretending to be fabulous, like fashion photographer Avedon's muse, Davima, or perhaps even Patsy herself. I continued to recall. The cascading shag, not the stuff hanging from the palm trees, had been clipped into my mop by John, a Manhattan hairstylist who flew to Los Angeles to cut Patsy and her older friend's hair when his home was under six inches of snow. I, at the time firmly tucked under Patsy's wing, was included in the stylist's schedule. He was urbane, funny, and cooed over me for having a virgin mane that cut easily and wasn't brittle with dye. Come to think of it, those ladies I admired so then would have been just about my age now. Patsy, the tall and willowy, seemed to exist on salads, iced tea, and studio gossip. Once, when I went to visit, she gave me a quick appraisal, a little moo on her bright red lips, her long, elegant hands darting out to adjust my clothing. The clavicle is such a beautiful part of the anatomy. Show it off while you're young, darling, she pronounced as she opened the neck of my dismally dark and severely buttoned top. That's better. Then came another frown, and she took my hand and led me into her walk-in closet and dressing room where she searched through drawers until she found the perfect soft sweater with oyster shell buttons and presented it to me. I wore this in high school. Take good care of it, and it should last until you're my age. If I had listened to her, I might still have it, but I had a bad habit of taking my sweaters off and looping them through the strap of my tote as I walked around the studio, and I would drop them everywhere and never find them. I was thinking I could call Patsy, it was early, but she was at an age surpassing mine, so chances were she would already be up. The older you get, the earlier you find yourself rising. She could and did talk about anything at any hour. I liked her verve. I admired her stamina. I had not even had an opportunity to reach for the phone when my reverie was disrupted by a hammering at the front door. When I answered, Cooper did not look pleased. You, you're not answering your phone. Where have you been? He took in the stack of five cartons in the entryway and the photo in my hand. What? You're not skipping town or anything, are you? I am not. It's not okay to make people worry like that, Billy. You were worried about me? You haven't spoken to me in three years. 
What about the text I've been sending you? You quit your job, you call me, you hang up, you disappear. I know you changed your number, you left it on my phone. I didn't answer. I noticed that he was beginning to look his age. His hair was graying. There were lines in his face where he had squinted from the sun. He raised his eyebrow and tilted his chin down, his neck crinkling, the better to peer at me. And Sylvie said you're not answering her texts either. I think I might have boxed up my cell phone last night. You did what? By accident. When? Just last night? He asked. I remember looking around at the cartons stacked neatly in the front hall, in the dining room, in the living room. It did look like I was packing up to go. Cooper took his phone and tapped in a number. Very faintly, one of the boxes in the living room began to ring. I'll go get a scissors, I said, and headed off to the kitchen. I opened a drawer that the previous day I had dumped into an empty five-gallon paint bucket. No scissors were lurking in the back. I had always thought the studio hack might have been prompted by a personal vendetta or a kind of retribution meted out by someone I'd fired. Later events deepened my understanding of the official line, but at the time I was coming to grips with the idea I had gotten what I deserved. I was a home wrecker. I had obliviously handed over data treasure to thieves on a massive scale when I should have been guarding the gates of the studio. I had opened up the private lives of everyone I cared about to public scrutiny and ridicule. Regardless, at the office for the last few weeks I was there, I held it together with what I liked to think. I'd like to think of it as courteous professionalism. And yet, there I stood, out of a job that had defined my adult life. My kitchen was a wreck. The slate of movies I had approved were dead. Antoine, thankfully, was not. And Cooper was paying a surprise visit. I could hear the hum of the refrigerator the creak of the floor, my own breathing, and I had no idea what to do. Suddenly, it occurred to me that Cooper and I had almost been an item for over 20 years. He didn't appear to be angry with me. He seemed concerned. What was up with that? There were days, more than I can count, when I pictured him and thought, one day we'll sort this out. One day we will be together. Yet here he was in my house after such a long absence on a perfectly fine day, and I felt confused and conflicted. I think his intuition must have been humming with the high-frequency mental static emanating from the kitchen. That, or he was tipped off by my slamming the kitchen drawers open and shut in my search. He sauntered in, holding my phone in his hand. I had these in my pocket. He held up his car keys. Ah, you better plug it in. Sure, all I have to do now is find the charger. I must have been scowling, for the next thing he said was, Have I pissed you off or something? Me? Pissed off at you? I sat down on the littered floor, my back against a cabinet. Do you know the Mayo Clinic lists menopause under diseases and conditions? What do you think of that? Well, I, I know it's not contagious. He sat down beside me. Jesus, this is hard on my knees. Sorry about that, old-timer. Cooper, I am not pissed off. And what's with the face? 
This old thing? He laughed. Did I ever tell you when I... Well, did I ever tell you about when I was 19? When I was working for the tailors? You worked for them? I was the nanny. Classic. Shut up. I never knew you were their nanny. I guess I never told you. I was going to say we should go for a drive, catch up, and you could charge your phone in the car, but I don't think I can get up for a while. Why don't you tell me now? Okay. God, it seems like a million years ago. I came out here from Boston, and it was like I'd land in, in an alien world. Everything was brighter, so much brighter, more dramatic. The tailors made me feel like I was living on a movie set. Really? Yeah, everything was so, so attractive, so over the top. Everything was bigger, more real than real life. Y you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they had these dogs. I mean, dogs that probably were bred to take down elk. Who keeps those kind of dogs for pets? A anyway, one day, the biggest one stole my shoes and threw them in the pool. I'm lucky he didn't throw me in the pool. Mr. and Mrs. Taylor favored those fucking beasts. And Mr. Taylor trained them in Italian to foil evildoers, I guess. The Taylors, they ruled my 19-year-old world. He was this movie star, the perfect mate to Gabrielle. Until there was you? Yeah, until there was me. Feeling tightness in my neck, I rubbed the back of it. And then I turned myself into a more powerful version of her. You mean studio-wise? Definitely studio-wise. It was the only wise I could imagine. Whoa, or I could manage. Anyway, she was very sharp, very poised, very, very dry sense of humor, and combative. Every conversation between those two bordered on debate. Their views on everything from politics to religion were in sync, but they liked to spar, and they did it in front of the kids. I remember Isabel being young, maybe about seven, and sitting in her mother's lap in tears after a lobster dinner to celebrate Mr. Taylor's birthday. Cooper bumped my knee with his. Do you know you keep calling your late husband Mr. Taylor? No, I don't. Yeah, you do. That's weird. Okay, it was Dave's birthday. Anyway, Isabel was confused. No, it was more like she was startled by the way her parents had jabbed at each other, like it was the floor show. Some kind of comic routine at a table full of grown-ups. Even more mystifying, they were loud and then they dissolved into laughter, just screaming with laughter. I'm sure there were cocktails involved and wine with dinner. She just wasn't used to the decibel level. It was crazy. I remember Mrs. Taylor handing her off to me, little Isabel's soft cheek next to mine, and I explained to her as we walked away from the party that that was the way, that was just the way some people talk to each other. Little Isabel, Cooper inquired. I was crazy about her then. She was crazy about me, I answered. Am I getting this wrong, or was she implicated in the hack? The FBI said it was spear phishing. Someone used her name to get me to open an and, oh, I don't know what they call it, an infected email, a Trojan horse, I don't know, a worm, I can't remember. And then I added, they said it was probably a state actor, maybe a dress rehearsal for a much bigger play to come. 
Imagine what you could do with all that data. Remember, this was 2012. Cooper shook his head. Have you spoken to Isabel recently? I hadn't. I'd been reading. I'd been going to New York. I had been selectively answering my phone. Weren't we talking about dogs? The tailor had these, these huge hounds, which took after the wolf side of the canine family. Like I said, they were huge. When I arrived at their home, those animals, they ran the roost. The tailors, they slept in a bed like a boat. Like a barge, Cooper asked. Like, like Cleopatra's barge. It spread across their bedroom, covers and throws and more pillows than I had ever seen in my life, and the dogs slept with them. More often than not, when you walk past their bedroom during the day, the hounds would be stretched across the quilt, napping. If the family had left them on their own too long, they would come back to the house to see their pillows shredded and the stuffing. All those feathers. They were floating in frothy white drifts, a snowstorm on the surface of the pool. I like that image, he said. I recalled how much I disliked the dogs. I tolerated them. I had to. They were so much bigger than I was. Until one ate my shoes and I found them gooey and torn in the shallow end. God, I was so angry. I could feel it. The anger started like a heat wave in my toes and traveled all the way up to the top of my head. One of the hounds was giving its coat a shake poolside. Cane cativo, I yelled and grabbed its great big cow head and jammed what was left of my soggy sandal under its nose. No, Gino, no. Hollering, I mean, but loud. You know, I don't think I've ever heard you yell at anybody, said Cooper. I shrugged. Cultural conditioning. Girls are taught to suppress and deal. I smoothed the baggy denim of my jeans over my knees. Gina looked at me like he'd done me a favor and strolled, still dripping, into the house. I followed him into the kitchen. I remember his enormous paws clickety-clack on the tile floor as he crossed to lap at his water dish. I, I could see Cooper was smiling. What? You're what my mom would call a pistol. That AD we worked for on that first movie, Ansel? Yeah, he used to call me trouble. Yeah, I can see that. I am not trouble. Cooper cracked up. Then, seeing my expression, he stopped laughing. Well, I think you should come away from this demolition derby of yours and have breakfast with me. I can't go out. Look at me. Billy, I think you're getting bored and destructive. Birds can sing, but they can't dance, I chirped. Is, is that a riddle or something? Laughing, I shook my head. I, wait, one of the first real conversations we ever had, you said I looked bored and disgusted. I remember that, disgusted because you were giving me the side eye. Do you see even the barest glimmer of side eye? No, but given time, you're going to start shredding pillows and dumping them in the pool. Come to my place. I was about to reply in an emphatic negative to his invitation when he said, Nah, come on, let's get in the car. I make a kick-ass breakfast. I was sorely tempted. He said breakfast. With his appearance, my appetite returned. Though there was so much I had to atone for, I hadn't even contemplated where to begin. But I'm... No, get up. Cooper... What? 
I've never told you how sorry I am. Well, it was a start. He tensed and then ran his hand back through his hair. He shook his head. Billy, I owe you an apology. You owe me? I owe you. All this time, I remember that night we met thinking, I want this person in my life. And you were in my life no matter what, no matter how many fucked up relationships I had. Then I got bent out of shape, threatened, threatened by how much you cared for Antoine. That's where I disappeared to, New York, to see him. How's he doing? Much better. He's doing well. Good. Cooper took his car keys from his pocket. And then, instead of talking to you, I stopped. And the longer I stopped, the harder it was to start. Anyway, I'm glad we're talking now. I missed you. I can't remember the last time. No, I don't think I've ever... Cooper, you are the first man who's ever apologized to me. Jesus, seriously? I nodded. It's about time, Chief, he said. Hold on. I apologize to you about my behavior all the time. You do? The first time was after Sedona. Oh, my God, Sedona. You see? Cooper still had his house above the Sunset Strip. It seemed so utterly quiet with Sylvia away at college. There were stacks of scripts by a chair in the living room, and it looked like someone had just vacuumed. When we arrived, we went straight back to the kitchen, and he started putting together a dish with sautéed onions and cheese and eggs that had to bake for 30 minutes. Whisking what already smelled delicious into a bowl, he said, Why don't you go take a shower? Half bad, huh? How long have you been in those clothes? I tugged at my t-shirt. I don't know. Go into my room at the end of the hall. He nodded toward the hallway. My bathroom's right there. Just shut the door. Take your time. You can find something to wear in my stuff. When you come out, we can put your clothes in the wash. Just go through your things? Not a problem. You got a belt that's going to fit me? Use one of my ties. They're hanging in the closet. Get out of here. I'm going. I'm going. I went down the hall to his room. In all the years I'd known him, I'd never wandered this way. Even though I had been in and out of his house, especially when Sylvie was very young, I tended to think of Cooper on a movie set, a place where dreams are captured on film to mimic reality. A house, though, reflects the fundamentals of who you are and where you want to be. My house? It seemed like a monument to someone else, and I was very busy trying to deconstruct it. As Natalie would no doubt say, referencing an old film as a matter of course, so the walls of Jericho came down, and then what? Perhaps the monument was to somebody I used to be. I sat down on the edge of Cooper's bed, Cooper, who had just apologized to me. There were palms and a teak bench in a private courtyard beyond sliding glass doors. There were bookshelves built into the wall. The bed was made in white linen, no extraneous pillows. The floor was stained a dark walnut. There was a portrait from the 1930s of a woman seated at a desk, her head inclined to read, her hands resting on the open pages of a book. I started to browse his floor-to-ceiling shelves. Nothing about Hollywood. That was surprising. It was all history and nonfiction and lots of Steinbeck and Tobias Wolfe. I stood and did a 360. Light, great composition, and books.
I opened the door to Cooper's bedroom and called down the hall. Hey, who's the woman in the portrait? My grandmother, he answered. How long does it take you to shower? I took the hint. Remember, way back at the beginning of this, I mentioned a text of Cooper's. The text caught his sense of play, painted a pretty vivid portrait of me, and obviously struck me because it was one of the first things I wrote about. And here we were. Here he was, after three years of angry silence. I was standing, pouring shampoo into my hand in his shower. Then it washed right over me. I was haunted by the sensation of time at my back like a tsunami in slow motion. Sic semper tyrannis. Thus, always to tyrants, was what Brutus said when he stuck a knife into Caesar. I was the one who had stuck a knife in my career. I was done, at least in the movie industry, and it was time for me to move on. Maybe I had been the one who'd been angry. Wasn't avoiding conversation one of my old ploys? I never told Cooper I'd been a nanny. Holy shit. I thought about what we had or hadn't accomplished together. Many movies, only a whisper of romance, and that could be chalked up to me. I'm going to wander into language again, but here it kind of has a point. There's a very common word used to describe males. It's virility. Got it? Okay. What's the female counterpart? Fertility? No, that can apply to both sexes, and that only conveys that you can have children. Virility is about strength, masculinity, and vitality. Okay, and some other stuff. What's the female word for that? What's the word for strength, femininity, vitality, and... There is one, but it's as obscure as hell, and if you've heard it, it was probably during the script spelling bee. It's from the Latin word for woman. Mulier, and the word is muliebrity. It means womanly. So let's not dwell on inequalities even in language and just call it a life force and go on. Maybe I had my muliebrity back. From that little ramble, you can see I like to think in the shower. It makes me feel so very alive. Water sluicing down over my scalp. Glorious, soapy, citrusy lather everywhere. The scent, the splashing. Seeing with your eyes shut tight. Cooper and I had been in each other's thoughts for decades. He had appeared when I hadn't realized how much I had to say, and he had listened. He had come for me, cleaned me off, and was about to feed me. I have a thing for guys, if you haven't already noticed, that feed me. I stepped out of the shower and wrapped myself in a towel. No doubt this is an indication of my age. Yet I couldn't help thinking, when I look back on my life, I'm not going to reminisce fondly about what I did at work. What will fill my thoughts, with any luck, are the people I love and the reasons why I love them. Towel dry and smiling, I walked into the bedroom and opened up the closet. Cooper! I called over my shoulder. Can you come here a second and help me pick out a tie? Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the story, please tell a friend.